Hi, Bridgeway. What a treat I have for you today. It is so good to be with you. We are launching a brand new series. Now, before you get upset, we are still in the book of Ephesians, but because it is so rich in content, we actually broke it into two parts. So in other words, the whole first part of Ephesians is actually about connecting to God. The second portion that we are now launching today is connecting to the church. So there is a vertical connection and there's also a horizontal connection that the book of Ephesians talks about. So we are kicking off Connecting to Church series part one right here, right now. And it's gonna be super good. Those of you that are history buffs like me, it's gonna be awesome for all the rest of you. You might wanna take a nap. All right, here we go. Let's jump right into it. I wanna get you the fill in the blank there that is on your app, maybe. We're also gonna put it up there in the chat features and things like that. But I wanna talk about the concept before I give you the fill in the blank. So I wanna state the obvious. Our society has been full of division, not just lately, but historically, yes? Division has always been a part of society. Uh, as a matter of fact, in our society, we have things like a political divide a socioeconomic divide, which is poor versus rich. We have ethnic divisions. We even had a divide over how to handle this coronavirus situation. Like it is constant division and people are running to polar opposites. They are then vilifying the other side and there's so much chasm, there's so much of a splintering. But there's also divisions in the church. And I'm talking about the church as a big C, the bigger part of church with all the different smaller church. A lot of the division from society ends up finding its way into our churches. That is super frustrating. But then once it gets in there, we add division of our own. Like we have our own flavor of division. We divide over non-essential doctrines. Right, let me give you an example. When is Jesus coming back? Is it going to be at the beginning? Is there a rapture? Is there not? We divide over that kind of stuff. We divide over whether the church is primarily for evangelism or for discipleship. We divide over charismatic versus conservative. We divide over high church or low church or formal church or informal church. We divide over music styles, baptism styles, and the list goes on and on and on. There are 30 major denominations in America, but if you wanna get more detailed, there's 200 and it goes on from there. All of this disunity, this, this division, this is not honoring to Christ. I understand there are some places we have to draw some lines, I get that, on the essentials. But the amount of division that is happening in our greater church across America and across the world is absolutely heartbreaking. But the division doesn't just stay in our church. There's division within us. The Bible talks about uh, the concept of integrity. Integrity means that we are sound and whole throughout, that there's not an internal division. There's not a break there. But think about how much our flesh wars with our spirit. There's a bunch of stuff we want to do right. There's a bunch of stuff we want to do wrong. We're wrestling with sin all the time. There's all these schisms inside of our spirit. What in the world are we going to do with all this division? That is the fill in the blank right there in front of you. Here's the fill in the blank. Only God heals deep division. Only God 
heals deep division. I'm gonna, I told you that I was going to give you a little bit of a history lesson. And so if you are one of those folks, man, here we go. You might want to jot down some of these notes. I'm going to just be popping through real fast because of our limited time today. But I want to tell you the story of how the Jewish people, as God designed them, ended up in a place by the time Jesus came around where it was kind of like Jews against the world. Where did that come from? Where did the division between Jews and non-Jews come from, biblically, historically, right? Because here's what's intriguing. Let me, let me share it, and we're going to go all the way back as far as we can, because from an Old Testament Jewish perspective, right, there in the Bible, right, we we're talking about that there's a portion called the Old Testament, and there's a portion called the New Testament, right? Well, in the Old Testament Jewish perspective, there were really only two groups of people in the entire world. You were Jewish or you weren't. Jews and non-Jews. Now, the non-Jews were referred to as Gentiles or the nations in some other way. But really, it was very ethnocentric by the Jewish people saying, listen, we are God's chosen people, we are the elect, and God treated them absolutely as such, and then they saw the rest of the world, and then there were those who were not. So how did that really come to be? Let me, let me kind of walk us through this. Originally, and we're going thousands of years back, originally there was a world. It was after the flood. It was after the Tower of Babel, all that stuff. There was a world that was doing their own thing. They were not collectively seeking God. But God wanted connection with his people so desperately that he put a system into play to reconnect creator with creation, to reconnect God with his people. And that system involved creating a group of people that was fresh and new on the face of the earth. So God, out of all these peoples doing their own thing, selected out a man named Abram, later his name was changed to Abraham, and through his lineage, he created a people group called the Hebrews or called the Jewish people. Now, they had a very specific reason for being. God designed them with a very specific plan in mind. They were to be things like this. The primary doorway to being reconnected with our creator. As a matter of fact, listen to this. When God made a contract and a promise to Abraham. We find this in Genesis 12, 2 through 3. Genesis 12, 2 through 3. Here's what God said. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and, I, you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. But here's the key. And in you, meaning in the Jewish people, in your lineage, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So the, the decision to create the Jewish people was a conduit by which to bless the entire world. They were going to be the primary doorway by which the whole world would get back in touch with their creator. Intriguing, as Abraham was going on through 
we realized, he realized he didn't have any children and God promised him and said, you will have a child and your lineage will be as numerous as the sand of the seashore. In other words, there are many, many people and nations are gonna come out of your lineage. Now, the Jewish people were designed not just to be the doorway, but they were designed to be the beacon. In other words, this whole concept of salt and light that the church uses today, that was originally for the Jewish people. The point was they would be a shining light of a beacon into all the world saying, if you want to know God, come ask us because we have a special relationship with him and you need to get to know him through us. Another thing that the Jewish people were, they would be unique. They were designed to be different. They were called out from all the nations of the world to be distinct, different, and God-focused. That meant that God gave them some very unusual rules that they had to follow. He was making them holy, making them different. So that meant strange rules, strange lifestyle. We're gonna talk about that in a moment. But they were also to be a living drama. In other words, God was going to use them and move them around almost like a chessboard, almost like a theater where he would show spiritual truths to mankind through people very specific to him. It was like he was using them as examples, as metaphors, as stories to try to tell the world what God was like and what he wanted to like. In other words, they were a cosmic drama that was bigger than them. They were caught up in something so much larger than them. And also, they were the prophets. They spoke for God. When God wanted to tell the world something, he would speak through the Jewish people. They were the conduit of his voice. So if you ever wanted to hear what is God saying, you had to pay very close attention to the Jewish people because they were gonna be the ones that he would talk to first. Bottom line, the Jewish nation was created to be the primary way that people would get connected to God. Now, let's say you weren't born Jewish. How do you get connected to God? Well, as a matter of fact, God, they had a process. You became Jewish. In other words, you went through their channels. You went through their conversion process. And for males, that meant things like circumcision and it meant changing lifestyle and it meant altering a bunch of different things and aligning with the way that God told the Jewish people to do that. Now, why does this matter? Because if they're going to be the unique people by which God moves through, he demanded of them strict obedience, strict faith, strict adherence. And initially, when he got it kicked off with Abraham, everything was going fine because it was a very small family. But then it started going down through Abraham's lineage. So if you remember, it always goes Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Why is that important? That's the order of dad to son to dad to son to dad to son to where we get into a very critical part of the story. So here's where we go. By the time we get done with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, we have 70 members of a chosen family now being saved in a famine time in Egypt. Well, they ended up becoming enslaved. They began because they were in such a close proximity, they became very, very numerous. They began to multiply into the hundreds of thousands over a 400 year period. 
Eventually, the Egyptian empire got very threatened by them and they began to put them into slavery. It is after this long period of difficulty that God calls a man through a burning bush by the name of what? Moses. And that's where the story gets us into what we call the exodus, the leaving out of Egypt. That was the 10 plagues and that was the parting of the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness and there in the wilderness, they had miracle manna and, and they had uh, their first battle and the, God was organizing a nation. But when he had a few of them, he could work one way, but now we had a big people group and big people mean big rules. So he gets them all assembled in the desert at the foot of Mount Sinai. There God says to Moses, I have instructions for how my people ought to operate. And he began with 10 commandments. Now we've all heard about this or maybe we saw the, the old movie or whatever, but basically it was 10 structural rules for their society that was about how to treat God vertically and how to engage with each other horizontally. Same thing that we're doing in this series. It was three months into their journey and God reiterated, if you obey me, I will bless you. If you do not obey me, I will take you out. It was a very strict blessing and cursing contract. A contract in the Bible is called a covenant, right? So here's what he said. Exodus 19.5, now therefore, if you will indeed, indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you, Jewish people, shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, this next part is really important. God tells them that he's going to take them into a land where he was going to bring judgment on the people already living there. God was going to chase them out in judgment and the Jews, not because they were better than anyone else, but because they were God's people, he was going to let them backfill the land and they were going to get what we now know as the promised land. That is the land that we also know as Canaan, right? So even now where Israel is since 1948 as a state, a lot of that land is that same original land. But this is very, very critical. When they got into the land, remember, God was bringing judgment on the people that were in there. So as they were getting cast out, Israel was not allowed to intermingle with them at all, especially religiously. The Jews were told, you do not intermarry with them. You do not celebrate their gods like they do. You do not pick up their habits. You are unique and special. You do your thing, let them do their thing, and God will work on them. God then creates through the Jewish people what we know as the atonement system or the sacrificial system. In other words, God wanted connection with his people. But what happens if we sin? What happens if we get it wrong? What happens if the Jews don't do things right? How do they make it right again? Well, actually, God had a solution. He said, if you do something wrong, I'm going to set up a system where you can make it right. It's called the atonement meaning covering over. It means that I will have you sacrifice something, you give up something, and I'll overlook your sin for now. And we can still have a relationship. All right, the reason why this is so important is he only did this with the Jews. You have to remember, all the other people on earth don't have this very specific thing going on. God was creating a connection pattern through the Jewish people. So if you wanted to connect with God, who did you go through? 
the Jewish people. And it was very, very important that they remained his people special. Leviticus 20, 26, God said this about the Jews. You shall be holy to me, for I, Yahweh, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. Now, they end up in the desert and things don't go awesome. I think many of us know the story. They end up wandering in the desert for 40 years. Joshua comes into leadership along with Moses and eventually he's going to take over. So here's what God says. Remember, when you go in, Joshua, here's the rules of engagement. For all the people groups in there, you do not intermix. Wipe them out. And then as far as the nations around you, I have different rules of engagement. He said this in Numbers chapter 33, verse 51. Speak to the people of Israel and say, when you pass over the Jordan River into the land of Canaan, drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, verse 55. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land before you, then those of them whom you let remain will be barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and they shall trouble you in the land where you dwell. And I will do to you as I thought to do to them. Why is this so important? because it's creating division. Jews here, everyone they were interacting with there. Understand, this is little by little, it is creating a system whereby the Jews were isolated out as a very unique people group. They were going into a place of judgment and all those people God was dealing with differently. So he said, do not intermix. All right, let's keep moving forward. Once they got into this promised land, they needed to make sure they were all clean and ready to go. So what was the first thing they did? They had all their men get circumcised that hadn't been circumcised and grew up in the desert. Why is that important? You'll find out because that is the primary sign that God set up with Abraham to be Jewish. We'll talk about that in a little moment. So he creates this new society in the promised land with strict rules of living. This was clean, this was not. These people were clean, this is not. This situation is clean, this is unclean. As a matter of fact, two people groups that were half Jews or partial Jews, the Ammonites and Moabites, he said, do not, because I have a judgment on them for something else, do not let them to be part of you. They are out. Now you can bring in these other half Jews, the Edomites and the Egyptians, they're all cool, but you keep the other ones out. Separation, division. Jews, not Jews. They finally get everything settled and they get a warning. Don't mix. They enter into the king's era. There's more fighting, the nation splits, and things just get worse. But it gets so bad that God kicks them out of their land. In 722 BC, the Assyrian nation took out the north. In 586, the Babylonian nation took out the south. Now the Jews were wiped out of their land. While they were gone, it backfilled with people that were not Jewish. It's very important. When the Jews came back, some of them intermixed and they became the Samaritans. Just like you think about the Good Samaritan story. Well, they were so focused on purity and doing it right this time, they didn't want anything to do with any of the people that were in there by the time they got back. So there was massive ethnic division. The Jews were against the non-Jews and the Jews were against the half-Jews, the Samaritans. So it was the Jews against 
the world. Vicious purity was demanded. That soaked in for about 400 years. Then all of a sudden, Rome comes in, more Gentiles. They dominate the Jewish people, and now the Jews hate them too, and the Romans aren't nice to the Jews. All this division, 400 years of more and more intense ethnic division. This is incredible, and that's when Jesus walked on the scene. You see, Jesus walked into the scene of all of these rifts, all this division. As a matter of fact, on his own team of his disciples, he had a zealot. What's a zealot? It's a national purist. Do you remember the Pharisees? We talk about them a lot. Those were religious purists. It was people saying, let's get back to pure and cut everyone else out. That was a big, big concept. And then in the midst of all that division, here's what Jesus said. Guys, I'm changing the rules. We're now all gonna get together. Can you imagine the upheaval after thousands of years of division? God says, I want one body. I want non-Jews and Jews in me to be together. And I want you to act like family. That's the background for our passage today. Would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter two? Ephesians chapter two, verse 11. You go, man, that was the longest intro I've ever heard. Just consider it the message, and then it doesn't feel so weird. Ephesians chapter two, verse 11 through 16. Let me just read through it, and then we'll tear it apart with the time we have left, all right? Here we go. Therefore, Paul said to the church in Ephesus, which was a Gentile Greek place, so it had Jews and Greeks. Therefore, Remember that at one time, you Gentiles, non-Jews in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two and so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Man, that was a ton. But it starts off really weird. Remember, Gentiles, at one time you were the uncircumcised, and you were called that by the circumcised. So, sorry, team. We got to talk about it. What is this whole circumcision? It went from a surgery to like a status symbol. How did that happen? All right, here we go. Abraham was 99 years old and God said, we need to have a mark between us that will keep you guys separate from everybody else that we know whose team you are on. It's gonna be circumcision. I can guarantee you Abraham would have said, uh, can we have anything else? But no. Why it's that, don't have time to get into it anyway. He had all of his family, all the males circumcised, and that became the sign if you were legitimately Jewish or not, because the people groups in that area were not. All right, a little bit unusual. God 
lock this in. In Genesis 17, 9, every male among you must be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Here's what he said. If you're not circumcised, you are to be cut off from all connection to God. In other words, if it isn't cut off, you're cut off. That was awkward. Let's keep moving on. It became this symbol of pride. By the time we get down to Jesus' day, all the Jews were saying, I'm a legit Jew and you're not. So they started bragging about it and they said, our group, true Jews, are called the circumcised. So if you're not a part of us, you are the nasty, uncircumcised barbarians. We want nothing to do with you. Here's what he said. He said, hey, Gentile believers, before we get into your glories in Jesus Christ, let me re-highlight where you came from. Understand this, you were separated from Christ. When you weren't a Jew, you had no way to get a hold of that. You were sinners just like everybody else. You were spiritually dead. So be thankful. He said, you were alienated from Israel. You were non-Jewish and you didn't have access. He said, you were outside the old covenant. You didn't have that special connection. You had no hope, no way to get in, and you had no God. You were disconnected and you were dead. He said, Gentiles, that's where you came from. But check this out. Look at verse 13. Here's that phrase again. But now. It was bad situation. But now in Christ Jesus, you Gentiles, non-Jews, who were once far away from God, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Jesus Christ changed everything. You Gentiles who were far away have brought, been brought near to God to get close to him. How? Through the cross, transforming you, cleansing you of your sins, making you a new creation, born again into a new status, into a new person, into a new family. Now there's either the family of God or there's not. So it doesn't matter what your ethnic background is. It doesn't matter what has happened in your past. You're either in the family of God or you're not. There's a whole new way of looking at it. What does that mean? Well, look at verse 14. For he, Jesus, is our peace. He has made us both. We used to be Jews, non-Jews. We've made us both one, has broken down in his flesh, meaning on the cross, that dividing wall of hostility. He's bringing unity by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances. In other words, all those rules that kept us separate, those have now been fulfilled and moved aside and Jesus launched a new program. That new program was one family, one church, one people group. You're either in the family of God or you are not. He said he created in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and God reconciled through the cross, killing the hostility. What is the point? Jesus is our peace. Jesus has made us both one, Jews and Gentiles. Now, I understand that in today's world, we're kind of like, I don't even use those terms, whatever, it's not that big of a deal. I need you to get into the cultural context. Thousands of years of separation, thousands of years of animosity, thousands of years of do not hang out with them, thousands of years of purity. We don't intermarry, we don't connect. As a matter of fact, it started going wonky because of human nature, where now anything non-Jews touched, you couldn't even hang out with them and you couldn't touch that and they made everything wrong and they ruined everything. And 
I mean, it was so bad that in Jesus' day, they would go around the Samaritan area. In the very center of their nation, there was a period, a place where half Jews lived and the good Jews wouldn't even go through it. They'd go all the way around. When you have thousands of years of ethnic tension and Jesus says, guys, we're one family. How do you think that felt? Paul was breaking brand new ground. He said, Jesus is stopping all the division, all the hostility. We're gonna be one family. So let me ask you as I close out, who is the Gentile Jew divide of today? Your life. Is it an ethnic divide? Is there a racism? Is there a prejudice? Is it that you believe that another people group is not quite equal with you in Jesus or in life? That's not okay. What about gender? Guys, are you holding this idea that somehow you're more important to God than women are? That you hold a higher status than women do? It's not okay. Is it charismatic versus conservative? Oh, well, I know that church across town, they're so-and-so. They're not as important as what we are doing here. You understand, Jesus, there's one body. There's got to be unity. What about this? Formal versus informal church music style, political divide. Are you bringing that garbage in the church? Hmm. You see, it's human nature to divide. The problem is, we're not merely human. We have been born again, we are transformed, we are now what the Bible calls partakers of the divine nature. We are now fused with Jesus, so don't give me an argument that it's just human nature. We don't operate on human nature, we operate on Jesus's nature. You see, here at Bridgeway, one of the things that we have tried to make very, very clear is that yes, where we have to divide on the essentials, the deity of Jesus Christ, the Trinity, things like that, saved by grace through faith, that type of stuff, that is where unfortunately we have to draw a line of who is in the family of God and who is not based on scripture. But on the non-essentials, we believe in unity in diversity. Not only do we mean external diversity, the more diversity we have just even externally, color, nationality, ethnicity, it just looks more like heaven. It's just better and better and better. But I'm talking about diversity in thought and opinion, even in non-essential doctrine, that it's okay to be in a church and we don't have to agree on every little thing. Now we as a body, the leadership has to decide where we're gonna go and how we're gonna do it, but it means that we're still brothers and sisters. It means that when we get together with other churches, they don't have to do it exactly like we do it, that we can love on them and we can go to common ground and we can praise Jesus together and we can pray together and we can love on our neighbors together. All those things are critical. You see, because Jesus has done all the work to wreck divisions and hostility, and he has made one new body. One baptism saves us all, and that's in Jesus Christ. There is one way to heaven, that is through Jesus Christ, and we're either in or we're not. 
We don't get to play the haves and the have-nots. We don't get to play those who are closer to Jesus and those who aren't. We don't get to play those that are spiritually amazing and those that are just spiritually plain. The bottom line is, in Jesus Christ, at the foot of the cross, we are all the same. His rescue, His Holy Spirit has made us all beautiful. Even though we are unique, we are one. Amen? Amen. I think this is going to be such an exciting series. I'm so glad that you are with us today. I hope we get a chance to catch you next week. Have a wonderful, wonderful day, and I'll see you next time.